Good morning. I feel so prayed for. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how much that means. There, I don't think there's um, a deeper way to express love than to say we are interceding for you. And um, I mentioned to someone this morning, it feels like all of us are preaching this sermon together because you all prayed so much and <laughs> been listening to the Lord for this. So we're not only going to be listening to me. We're going to be listening, continuing to listen to what God is saying. And I'm so excited to share with you. Um, also a shout out to my biggest intercessor, my mom, who's watching online. Hi, mom. <laughs> she found, she is so sneaky. She found out, not through me. That's embarrassing. I should have told her, but <laughs> she found out because she receives our, our newsletters via email and she's like, I'm praying for you because you're preaching on Sunday. She doesn't talk that time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> but thank you. She's great. So we are continuing our journey through Matthew this morning, going deeper into what Jesus was doing, who he was doing it with, and we're asking ourselves the question, God, what is it that you want to teach me about blessing today? Because we have the privilege of arriving to the most famous sermon, arguably, in all of history that Jesus preached on a mountainside to a group of people it's the Sermon on the Mount. Who is he preaching to? Well, to set the scene, he had just begun his ministry. So not only were the people who he was speaking to at this moment kind of newcomers to his message, but also they were kind of unheard of in that time. At that moment, he had only gathered four, perhaps, of his disciples recorded at that time. He just had the fishermen. He had James, John, Simon and Andrew, and probably Matthew, a tax collector, as he was recording this piece. The people he was speaking to at that time were the ones that he had healed in the chapter before. The ones who had been diseased, who had been, who had been going through chronic illnesses, the ones who had been demon-possessed, the ones who were economically poor, these people were the ones who followed him. So when it speaks of his disciples who gathered around him to listen, these were the people that he was speaking to. And yet, despite all the things that unified them in almost a negative way, all the burdens that they carried, they were also unified in their desire to just hear Jesus. These were people who were looked on as not the spiritually high in a day and age where what your outward appearance meant everything. And even what you had financially brought you closer to perhaps providing more offerings to God. And in this whole chapter, Jesus is, is saying, in my kingdom, where I am the ruler, I am the king, this is, these are the rules, this is the guidelines. This is what it looks like to follow me, as opposed to following ourselves, following our own perceptions of what we think looks good, of what we think earns our way with God, which was what most of the spiritual leaders at that time were doing. God was saying, this is what it looks like to follow me. And how beautiful that to the lowest of the low, Jesus started his whole sermon with blessings. 
I'm reminded of a phrase that I heard from a pulpit years ago, that you can have as much of Jesus as you want to. These people wanted Jesus before they had come to him for physical healing. But Jesus saw them and he was about to meet the deeper need that they had. Instead of thinking of their own kingdom, their own perspective, he was going to usher them into a place of his kingdom, his perspective, and that was going to be the true freedom. And that was going to be the cornerstone for the rest of their walk with him. So as we go deeper into this, let's just continue to have that conversation with God, even as you're listening to this, really listen to him. Be asking, Jesus, what is it that you want to teach me about blessing today? I'll pray just one more time. God, thank you so much that you desire to bless us. Thank you that you are real, that you are here. God, that you have drawn us to listen to you, Lord Jesus. And we want to say yes, Lord. We want to come to you. So, we're answering the question throughout today, why does God bless us? And because uh, we know that to put a little bit of motions to things help us to remember, we have three things in answer to that question. The first is because he sees us. So if, if you're willing to do a little bit of compass action with me, <laughs> we can say the first point, why does God bless us? Because he sees us. That's super good. Let's do it one more time. Why does God bless us? Because he sees us. Oh, that's powerful. You guys are great. And secondly, why does God bless us? Because he wants us to see him. Hello. And thirdly, because he wants the world to see him. That's awesome. Don't worry. We'll repeat it so you'll get it a lot. <laughs> so firstly, God, why does God bless us? He blesses us because he sees us. Let's jump right into Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. It says, And seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So he saw them. And then what did he do? He went to a place where they could see and hear him. Just like the most excellent communicators, they don't just speak to be uh, for their own words to be heard by themselves, but they speak to communicate to others. And then he sat down. And as some of you probably know, this was a tradition of rabbis. When they would teach, they would sit and their students would remain standing. And so in, in regards to this, what Jesus was doing was really establishing his role as a teacher, as a rabbi, as a spiritual leader. And his audience would have recognized, wow, he has this authority and he is embracing that authority and he's speaking to us out of that authority as our rabbi, our teacher. Wow. But at the same time, as I read this, something um, that God really highlighted to me was that also when a teacher is seated, the audience chooses to come to him. He gives the element of choice. 
If you think about it, just because I, I'm standing right now, if somebody started falling asleep in the back over there, I could come to you <laughs> very easily. <laughs> I could direct myself over here. And if somebody, you know, if they, you know, I, I, I can come to you. I can bring the message to you. And I can chase after you. But Jesus, as he was seated, it gives the element of choice that every single person who came desired to come, desired to even stand at attention to listen to what this man was saying on a mountainside. There was a time when I was six years old that I came like that to Jesus. It was a Christmas Eve service, and my mom and I entered at the back of the church, and many spaces were still open, and we could have had the choice to sit in the back or the middle, but I, I never forget that I grabbed her hand, and I pulled her up front because I wanted to sit as close to the platform as physically possible because I knew that the person there was going to talk about Jesus, and I wanted to hear about Jesus. And I had just turned six years old. And at the end of that Christmas Eve service, I gave my life to Jesus. That is the desire that Jesus allowed the people listening to have. He sat just like now he has died and risen. He's res resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father. And that is the whole gospel message that he says, now your choice. You can come. So now to these people, the poor and dejected, the people who others may not have even received if they came, he was saying, come. Why does he want to bless us? Because he sees us. He loves us. He values us. He wants us to give us his unconditional love. In that he has truly given everything, his grace, his spirit, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection and hope for new life, all with no promise that we would give anything back to him. The most incredible blessing that God has given us is salvation. And see how the, the crowd, he, he saw them. He was moved with compassion for them and that he had healed them physically. And now he was going to speak words to them that would change their lives and perspective for eternity if they received them. They came to him initially for physical need and he met that. But now he was going to change their lives. He was going to usher them into his kingdom. Wow. So just recap. Why? Does God bless us? Number one, because he sees us. Well, Steve, you're so good. <laughs> and number two, why does God bless us? Because he wants us to see him. You guys are good too. This is about relationship. Why? Well, throughout all the ages, God blesses humanity with the desire that we see how good he is. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessing means favor from God. So it's not just a nice thing that we say to someone who sneezes. <laughs> it's not just a nice thing to happen. To be blessed is an act of goodness from God who is nothing but good. So to receive his blessing is to become better acquainted with his character. We get to, when we receive good things from him, we say, wow, 
you are good. I see your faithfulness. I know that you are faithful. I have seen your healing. I know that you are a healer. I have known your redemption. So I know that you are a redeemer. God wants us to see him. And we see this all throughout history, beginning with creation. God blesses creation by saying, be fruitful and multiply. Meaning God says, I speak life over you. I designed you to be like me in community, creatively, and belonging in that community. And then following creation, right after that, Adam follows God's example in giving blessing in one of my most favorite revelations of blessing that I've, I've seen. The naming of Eve. Adam named Eve, Eve, after the fall. Which means that after the biggest mistake in all of humanity, which Eve was a part of, as was Adam, Adam and Eve were both blaming each other and speaking so ill of one another. And yet at this point, after they've met with God, and after God has said, this is the consequences for the action, you will be separated from me, but I will provide a redeemer for you. But there, there are real consequences to this. The blaming could have still continued. There could have been a choice to still speak ill of Eve. And yet... Adam immediately after that says, I name her Eve. Instead of failure, instead of shamed, instead of forsaken, Eve means life giver. Eve means life. Eve means mother. Wow. Adam received the character of God, I think, in that moment to say, I speak life. As a covering over you, I speak life, blessing over you. And then this practice continues throughout all of Jewish tradition where you see parents blessing their children, which is a tradition that lasts right until now. And a cornerstone, I believe, of blessing was in Genesis chapter 12, those first three verses where, um, where God blesses Abraham. And at that point, Abram. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. So if we just cut it right there, it's all about blessing Abraham. Why? Because God wants us to see him. God wanted Abraham to receive the blessing and have faith in him as the promise keeper. He says, I want you to know me as faithful. I want you to know me as the one who delivers against all odds. I want you to trust my goodness even when circumstances don't make sense. I want you to follow me no matter where I lead you. I want you to know me because I am better and greater than any false gods that you have been believing in. By not only hearing my blessing, but receiving it, you will learn that I am who I say I am and that I am good. Abraham believed in God, and that was what his righteousness was built on, that faith. God blesses us because he wants us to see him. So recap, what was the first one? Why does God bless us? Because he sees us. 
He values us. He loves us. He just wants to bless us. And then secondly, why does God bless us? Because he wants us to see him. I was like, where did my hands go? <laughs> and thirdly, why does God bless us? God blesses us because he wants the world to see him through us. This is so humbling. What does God say in that second part of Genesis chapter 12? He says, um, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the world will be blessed. And of course, who is he alluding to at this moment? In this scripture, God is setting up the arrival of Jesus our Redeemer, our Savior, the greatest blessing to humanity of all time, point blank, period. Through Abram and the baby he was yet to have, Jesus was eventually going to be born. So again, God sees us. In a, um, I, uh, when I was living on a ship, I took a course um, called Kairos, if you can ask me about the ship later, that's, a, that's another story. <laughs> like, that was funny. Uh, so I took this Filipino beautiful course. It's called Kairos. And they break down this specific scripture in Genesis chapter 12 and labeled it top line, bottom line, addressing blessing. So basically what they said was there is a top line and there's a bottom line to this specific scripture where the top line is a blessing that God gives us, but the bottom line is a blessing that we have the responsibility and invitation to share, to give. So Abram, in this case, was commissioned. Everything that he was learning about the character of God, God was asking him to share it with the nations. Israel was meant to be a conduit for the good news of the one true God who was better and more real than any of the false idols that were being worshipped all around them. Women like Rahab, who heard of the glory and majesty of God and says, who is this? I want to serve him. That was supposed to be a story that would happen over and over and over again. In our lives, personally, God blesses us extraordinarily. And I believe that if we in this room were the only ones in existence when Jesus died on the cross, he would have done it. But we're not the only ones. There is a whole world, so many of whom have never heard that Jesus is alive. Wow. And so receiving the blessing is so important, but it cannot stop there. Why does God bless us? Thirdly, because he wants the world to see him through us. And as his bride, we are being invited into partnership with him. We, it is important to receive, but also to give. Just a few examples of the top line, bottom line that you can find in all of scripture. Um, it's amazing that as you read, it's like, oh, well, there it is. <laughs> so honestly, I just flipped open my Bible and I said, let me see if I can just find some examples. So I'll just flip through. And these are just things that popped out as I just opened up. We've got Psalm 46. 
be still personally and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations. Psalm 62, 7, in God is my glory and the rock of my strength and my refuge in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Zechariah 3, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. And in that day, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. John 15, 11 through 13, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, that your joy may be full. full. There is no love, greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. Top line, bottom line. And this feeds into prayer life as well. Just a beautiful exercise if, if you would like to. Sometimes in prayer, I, I ask God to lead my prayer time. Um, almost like you're attending a prayer meeting and then the leader comes up and says, now we will pray for this. And everyone prays for that. So then I, I, li- I make God the leader of my prayer meeting with just him and I. And I say, Lord, what would you like me to pray for? And hands down, almost every time, the first thing that God says to me is top line. He says, Bethany, I want you to just listen to my heart for you. I want to bless you. I want to correct the ways that you need to be corrected. And I want you to be full of me. And I want to just pour into you as my daughter. And then I say, oh, thanks, God. And I leave (laughs) a lot of times. But there's many times that I say, Thank you, God. What else? What else? And then he'll follow. And almost every single time, it's so humbling because he's so patient with me. And I walk away so easily. But whenever I say, what else, Lord? He says, now, will you pray for this person? Now, will you pray for this nation? Now, I'm going to bring a picture to your mind. Will you just intercede over that? And my heart is broken for countries that I've never been in and for people that I've never met because I'm just asking God, what is your heart? And it's amazing. Top line, bottom line. Why does God bless us? Let's do the three again just for fun. Why does God bless us? Because he sees us. Number two, why does God bless us? Because he wants us to see him. And thirdly, God blesses us because he wants the world to see him through us. That is awesome. All right. So now that we know all these things, let's go back to the actual people on the mountainside who we have left there. Yep, did that page? Okay. (laughs) Oh, just kidding. And um, let's go and actually read Matthew 5. 2 through 12. It is on the screen there, and I will just let you read it. Again, God sees. He validates the state that these people listening are in through their perspective. God says, I see you. I see the people that you are. I see the people that you will be. I see the attributes about you that you may misunderstand and despise because they are not strong in the world's eyes. I say these things about you that I see, and maybe some of these things he's calling into existence and saying, you will be this. 
And this is the blessing that comes. So from their perspective, they are poor in spirit. They are mourning. He sees that they are meek. He sees that they are or will be hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He sees that they are or will be merciful. That they can be pure in heart. Peacemakers. He sees that they are persecuted and reviled against. And then he flips or widens their understanding from their perspective to his. Again, this is one of the most revolutionary messages in all of time, where he says, you've been looking at your kingdom's perspective. This is mine. And I begin with not rules. I begin with blessings. So the first, poor in the blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As stated before, these people were economically poor. What, what's fascinating to me as well is that because so few of the 12 disciples were there already, the people gathered there for the most part weren't, were not only unimportant or not remembered then, but we don't know who they are now either. These were not the ones who became great apostles and great leaders and martyrs. Maybe they were, but we don't know their stories, but Jesus does. They were poor economically. They were at the lower end of spiritual hierarchy. And yet Jesus was saying to them, there's a realm that is happening here and now where God is the ruler and he has a different economy. As elaborated on later throughout the Sermon on the Mount, the religious leaders don't gain anything from being seen as holy by the people. They've already received their reward in the kingdom of men. But in God's kingdom, God is looking at a person's heart not their outward showmanship. And that was such good news for the people there. Wow, to live with the burden and the expectation of like, wow, if I want to be close to God, I have to be this certain way. But for him to say, the poor, that's all right. That's an okay state to be in. And I'll meet you where you're at. I see you. Secondly, blessed are the, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This, this week was one that was really personal to me as God was inviting me to mourn, to say, Bethany, it's, it's all right to grieve. It's, it's good that you show me your real grief because I have real comfort to give you. And whenever we have mourning over our sin, that's actually good. Yay! Because there's a difference... <laughs> There's a difference between guilt and condemnation, right? So when we mourn over something that we've done and we, we feel that guilt, we feel that remorse, we feel that, that regret of what we have done or what we've thought or what we've said and said, oh God, that's not like your character and that saddens my heart. Wow, that's great. Because when that mourning allows us to come to a place of, and I want more of your character, and I need more of you, and I acknowledge, God, that I need your help, O oh Lord, to turn around, to repent, and to receive comfort, not condemnation, comfort. So let us be in a place of healthy mourning when God says, it's okay to mourn. Um, the following... We have, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. 
In a world both now and then where force is looked at as strength, if you think about the Roman Empire or about the hierarchy of of power, of shame and honor, of power and fear dynamics that were taking place, and, and then and even now, power is a commodity for gain. But meekness is not an attractive word. It's also not a word we use very often to be meek. There's probably a reason for that. It's not even looked at as a high prize characteristic in our culture now. Maybe that's why Jesus was described as unattractive and despised in Isaiah chapter 53, which is the prophetic word describing Jesus being led like a lamb to slaughter, carrying the cross to Gethsemane. He was the definition of meek, which is not weakness. For he had all the power in creation to stop his own execution from happening. But out of love, he showed meekness, which is power restrained, and willingly submitted himself to death. And I love Ephesians 12, even death on a cross. A kingdom principle is this. This is the power of, this is the kind of power that God has. The power to lay down his life for his friends. In God's kingdom, being meek meant that you were an heir to the king, deserving of inheritance. Next, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Few things are worse than feeling empty in any sense, whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And a lot of these people, again, that were gathered there felt like they were trapped in that emptiness that even if they hungered after righteousness, they had all these walls against them because of their status that felt like they couldn't reach out to God. I don't know if we've ever felt like that, that we want to, but we feel like we can't for whatever reason. But Jesus was here saying that it was more about the relationship with the Father than the acts of service done to please him. It wasn't about the show, it was about the heart. And he was about to teach them how to pray directly to the Father. These people had been the spiritual underdogs of society, and they may have hungered to be close, but not felt like they could. And yet Jesus was about to say that they could pray directly to Father. Wow. Next, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Oh, this is a hard one, I I think, Um, in the sense that if we are hungry, um, that God says, if you are hungry for my character and you are ready to receive my character, um, then that's great. But if we're holding on to vengeance or to bitterness or to resentment against someone, and it's so hard to receive mercy, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where it's hard to receive mercy when you're in a place where you don't want to give mercy. It, it's almost, it almost blocks you. It's cyclical in the sense that when we're, we come to a place where we say, God, I need your mercy in being able to receive now. And now you, when we receive his mercy, we can then give it. It's amazing. So blessed are the merciful because they will receive that same mercy, and vice versa. Blessed are the merciful. Then pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Again, this is not about the outward show of appearance, but this is about the genuine intentions of the heart. God says, if you want me, you can have me. Finally, 
we have, or um, almost there, peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Wow. Everyone who sees you as a person filled with peace will say, who is your father? <laughs> who do you belong to? Peacemakers are in the direct image of God, his character, and he blesses those. And finally, blessed are the persecutors, or blessed are the persecuted. <laughs> that was a revolutionary message. Yeah. <laughs> blessed are the persecuted and reviled against, for great is your reward in heaven. This is a hard one to deliver. This world is not all there is, though, is what Jesus is saying. If you were to look at the tip of a rope and then the extension of the whole thing, our life is just that tip, and everything beyond it is in relationship with him forever. And in a sense, God was saying to them, I see you, and I validate the pain that you are experiencing but I'm also saying it is not the end. And this was also a foretelling of saying, you will be persecuted in the future. And the disciples, the fishermen there who were just barely stepping out of their boats to follow Jesus, at this time, they were saying, oh, well, I don't know really what that message means. But in the future, they were going to need that because God does not just see this moment that we were in. He also sees and is preparing us for what is to come. So finally, why does God bless us? He blesses us because he sees us. He sees us right now in what we need. God blesses us because he wants us to see him. What parts of his character is he saying, Oh, beloved, come deeper. Come closer with me. I want to share more of my heart with you. I want to bless you so that you're able to say to yourself and to others, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And today, when we receive his blessing, may we also know that we go out to the world the world who needs to see him through us. So just in closing, as we take time to pray, let's ask God, Lord, what do you want me to hear about blessing? What do you want to speak to my heart? And then ask him, what else?